Please turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Joshua. We are in Joshua chapter 1 today. We're going to look at one brief verse there. But as you're turning there, I wanted to point out a couple people asked me last week what the question was that I dealt with. I'm sorry, I forgot to say it at the beginning, but it was, what does it mean that God loved Jacob and hated Esau? And so... uh, Sorry for leaving that out. This week's question is, what does it mean that prayer is a conversation with God? And I hope that as we consider Joshua here in Joshua chapter one, we'll read verse eight, understanding that Moses has died. They are on the borders of the promised land, getting ready to cross the Jordan River, that God comes and speaks with Joshua and gives him some some guidance before they enter the promised land before he sends the spies into the promised land. So that is where we are here in Joshua chapter one, beginning in or beginning and ending in verse eight. Do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Let us pray. Our God and Father above, as we turn to your word, help us to remember that your word is truth and in truth we find freedom. Help us to find the freedom to love you more. Help us to find the freedom to know you more in our studies today. I pray this in Jesus name. Amen. Let's have a conversation. What do you typically think of when you hear that word conversation? All of us have a very specific idea of what a conversation is. One definition of a conversation involves one person having an idea, expressing that idea with words to another person so that then that other person now has that idea as well. We have conversations with friends over coffee. We have conversations with ideological adversaries, or at least I hope you have conversations with those who disagree with you politically, economically, religiously, and you don't just yell and scream at them on social media. Then we come to our prayer life. Many of us struggle with our prayer life. I think that struggle comes out of a combination of our own sinful nature, that that sinfulness that's left over in our fleshly being is still at war with God at times, even though that war has been won in our spirit and And while the battle for prayer is easier for those who have been regenerated by the Holy Spirit, there's still difficulty in it. And the other reason why prayer is so difficult, why the struggle is there, is because the enemy wants anything but followers of Jesus who are engaged with God. And so he fights everything, gives every effort to keep us from prayer. And so in an effort to overcome the struggle... Many of us are told to think of prayer as a conversation with God. And you have probably even been told that from this very pulpit. Now, it's not necessarily a bad thing. It's not necessarily a bad thing to think of prayer as a conversation with God. But where we stumble, where we fall, is when we seek to apply the same rules of conversation to God that we have with our friends that we have with our family members. And so today I want us to look at prayer as a conversation, but I want us to look at it as prayer being a conversation with a king. 
how we can converse with that king or how we should converse with that king. And then some practical helps guiding that conversation. Firstly, prayer is a conversation with the king. Turn with me to the book of Isaiah. It's a passage that I reference often. It's Isaiah chapter one. Isaiah in the first or excuse me, Isaiah chapter six, verse one. Isaiah in the first few chapters has kind of laid out a summary of his message to the people of Israel, a summary that God tells them they're not going to hear. And then in Isaiah chapter six, he recounts for his audience the call that he received from God. And he says this in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord seated on a throne high and exalted and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphs, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorpost and the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me, I cried. I am ruined for I am a man of unclean lips and I live among a people of unclean lips and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. The problem with thinking of prayer as a conversation is we typically think of this passage going the way it does up until verse four. And then at verse five, we think of God just saying, hey, I come on up here and sit down next to me. I got some coffee here. It's the best coffee you've ever had. Let's chat. That's typically how we think of prayer as a conversation with God. We typically think of prayer as a as a conversation between two equals over a cup of coffee or a cup of tea or beverage of your choice. But it's not. It's a conversation between a subject and his or her king. When we approach God in prayer, we should realize that we are entering holy ground. We should realize that the creator of the universe is there wanting to hear from us and wanting to speak to us. Think of Moses in Exodus three as he's out tending his sheep and he sees a fire in a bush. And he notices that as the bush is burning, it's not being consumed. And so he goes over to check it out. Wouldn't you if you saw a a dry piece of shrubbery on fire and yet it just wasn't burning up? Wouldn't you go check it out to see what was going on? And as he gets closer, he hears his name being called Moses, Moses. And he approaches even closer. And all of a sudden, God seeing that Moses is coming to check out the burning bush, says, stop right there. Take off your shoes. You're standing on holy ground. And does Moses then pull up a chair next to God? No, he has the exact same reaction that Isaiah does. He falls flat on his face in worship because he realizes he's standing in the presence of the holy God. He's standing in the presence of the creator of the universe. And he realizes with Isaiah that woe is me. I am ruined for I am a man of unclean lips 
And I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Moses says exactly the same thing about his eyes having seen the Lord Almighty. We enter prayer flippantly, not realizing that we approach the throne of the creator king of the universe, the one who spoke reality into existence merely by saying, let there be. And there was is the is the one who we entered the presence of to pray the one who, if for a moment, took a break from holding all of creation together. If he took a break from that, all of creation would fly apart into disintegration. That is whose presence we enter. The one whose holiness demands here in Isaiah 6, the angelic beings who have not sinned still have to cover their eyes to not be consumed by the glory of God. That is the one whose presence we enter the one who is truth, the one who is mercy, the one who is grace, the one who is infinite, eternal and unchangeable. Is the one to whom we pray. And many times, brothers and sisters, I am so guilty of just wandering into his presence, wandering back out, wandering back in. Oh, I'm sorry, I forgot to bring you this one extra tidbit of information I need you to handle for me. Wandering back out, thinking about my day, wandering back in, going, oh, yeah, my day's kind of messed up. If you could take care of that, that'd be great, too. Instead of sitting there saying, woe is me. I am a man of unclean lips. Woe is me. I should be disintegrated because of my sin, because of my creatureliness in the presence of the creator. I should enter God's presence humbly knowing that I don't deserve to be there. I don't deserve his grace. I don't deserve his mercy. I don't deserve his face shining upon me. But wonder of wonders, brothers and sisters, in the midst of this, God stops and stoops to hear and to listen to us. How is he able to do that with me, a sinner? Then one of the seraphs flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it, he touched my mouth and said, see, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away and your sin is atoned for. I am able to safely enter the presence of the holy God. I am safe. I'm able to safely enter the presence of the creator and king of the universe because redemption has flowed to me from the altar. The altar should point us to the cross. The altar is where blood was shed. The altar is where the sacrifice was burned and given to God for the atonement of the sins of his of his people. But it had to be done over and over again. And so the cross is there for us where the sacrifice of atonement was given once and for all. So that I may enter God's presence without fear of judgment. So that I can enter God's presence without fear of being disintegrated because of my sins. So that I might enter God's presence and hear from him. Think about the president of the United States for a moment. 
How would you respond if you were given a moment or two to enter his presence? Would you bring him a laundry list of things that you think is wrong with our country and that he needs to fix right now? Or would you be struck by the power of the office, the authority of the office? I've read books, I've read accounts of people who were given those brief moments of time with a president who had things they were going to say to him. Not just this president, any president. And they say, when I got there, I could barely lift my hand to shake his hand because I understood the power of the office that was represented there in this man. And I lost my words. I lost what I wanted to say because of the power that stood there before me. God is like that except infinite. And prayer is a conversation not between equals, but between a king and his subject. And yes, we bring our request to God. He commands us to do that, Philippians 4. But we need to make sure that we're not just leaving it there. That we are understanding. So prayer is a conversation with a king. Well, how is it a conversation with a king? David Mathis says prayer is a conversation, but not one we start. God speaks first. His voice sounds in the scriptures and climactically in the person and work of his son. Conversation we typically think of as two ways. We, we just discussed that prayer is not a conversation between equals. It's a conversation between the king of the universe, the creator of the universe and his subjects. Well, how does he speak to us? Right here. In his word. Have you ever wondered why whenever we talk about quiet times or devotional times during the day, we always couple the reading of the scripture and the word? It's not because there's anything particularly salvific about just reading the word, unless the spirit's working through it. But it's because the Bible is God speaking to us and prayer is our response to that speaking. Why do we pray for healing? It's because the Bible reveals to us that God is a God who heals. Why do we pray for peace in our own life, in our own relationships and around the world? Because God's word tells us that he's a God who gives peace. Why do we pray for forgiveness? Because God's word tells us that God is a God who forgives. And of course, God's word also tells us that we're commanded to pray for those things. But God reveals who he is, what he wants of us in his word, and we respond to him in prayer. Mathis goes on to say Bible reading is a regular prompt to own our failures, to repent and cast ourselves on his grace all over again. What are the four things that we're told by Paul in Second Timothy three that the Bible is useful for? It's useful for doctrine for reproof, for correction, and training in righteousness. As we read and study the Scripture, God speaks His doctrine to us. And we praise Him. Paul, in his letters, oftentimes he'll be in the middle of a deep theological truth and then just break out in praise. Just break out in doxology to God for the deep doctrinal truth 
that he has just expounded. As we read and study the scripture, God confronts us with areas of sin. And we turn to him in repentance. As we read and study the scriptures, God corrects our sinful behavior. And we turn to him asking for strength to live in such a way that honors and glorifies God. And as we read and study the scripture, God shows us how to live before him. He trains us in righteousness. And we pray for guidance to walk before him as sons and daughters of the living king. The conversation of prayer is a declaration of a king to his subjects and a response from his subjects back to him. The conversation is carried out in prayer. It is carried out in changed lives. It is carried out in growth, in trust and love for God. It's not a talk among equals. But it is a willing and a humble servant listening to his or her sovereign king and responding appropriately to his word. So prayer is a conversation with a king. The conversation is defined as a king speaking and his subjects responding. So what are some practical tips to help us hear God's response? How do I tune myself to the call? How do I hear the words that God is speaking to me? The answer is meditation. Now, when I say meditation, I do want to clarify this. I'm not talking about the Eastern religious New Agey type of sitting there in the lotus position with your hands like this saying indecipherable words as a mantra so that you can empty your mind and be one with the universe. It's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about scriptural meditation. I'm talking about what Psalm 1 said, where it talks about the man of God uh, meditating day and night. I'm talking about what God called Joshua to do in Joshua 1.8 when he said, Do not let this word depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night. I'm talking about filling our minds with the word of God. Filling our minds with the truths of God. And allowing them... To rattle around in our brains, to mull over, to ponder, to, to, to talk about, to tell about the truths of God to such an extent that they shape what we do and how we live. The Puritans talked about two different types of meditation. First is occasional meditation. And this comes from a summary of Puritan thought on meditation written by Joel Beakey and Tim Challies. Occasional meditation. Occasional meditation is considering the works and wisdom of God as revealed in nature and in our lives. You know, as much as we take God for granted, we take his works for granted as well. We talk when we in Sunday school, we talked about the flood in Genesis nine last week. We talked about the words of God, how he hangs his bow in the sky as a sign of his promise. How he tells us that as long as summer follows spring and winter follows fall, that he will be faithful to his promises. And we gripe about the weather. I gripe about the weather. And yet, every time the climate changes every three months, whether it's changing from fall or to winter or to spring or to summer, I am to be reminded of God's faithfulness to his promise. 
Jeremiah dials down on this, talking about the covenant with David to have a king sit forever on the throne of David. And he says, if humanity can figure out how to break God's covenant with the sun, you know, God has made a covenant that the sun comes up every morning and sets every evening. If mankind can figure out how to stop the sun from rising in the morning and setting in the evening, God will break his covenant to save. Do you ever consider the beauty of a sunrise? The faithfulness of a sunset? Do you look at the beauty of children or, or spouses or, or, or flowers and think, my God is a God of beauty. My God is a God of creativity and art. I'm not a person of creativity and art most of the time, but my God is. Do you consider the wisdom of the ant and how it works and how it provides for itself and how it stores up for the winter? The book of Proverbs does. Go to the ant, thou sluggard. Do we look around at God's work in creation and say, hey, my God did this. This is awesome. This is beautiful. This is logical. This fits together well. This shows me who God is. That's occasional meditation. But the second type of meditation that this Puritan spoke of was deliberate meditation. And this should occur in what we call our quiet time. And if we look at things like Joshua 1 or Psalm 4, 4 or Psalm 16, 7 or 63, 6 or 119, 47. We should really be doing this day and night. Meditate on God's word day and night. And in this practice of deliberate meditation is not merely reading the word, but allowing it to become part of us to reside within us. Now, there's one Quick way to make that happen. And most of you are going to shut me down as soon as I say this next word. Memorize. I know. I get it. I just turned 50 earlier this year. And memorization is hard. You know why it's hard for me? Because I have not memorized a thing since I was about 14 years old. I'm out of the habit. Just like I'm out of a whole lot of other habits that if I determined to pick back up again would be difficult for me to pick back up again. But if I stick with it, I can get back in the habit of memorizing again. I can rebuild those pathways in the brain so that I can memorize. But the Puritans, being the Puritans, gave us seven steps to help us with this process of deliberate meditation. And be thankful because if you've ever read the Puritans, seven is a very short number for them. The first thing they say to do is to pray for power to focus your mind on the word. How do you open your quiet time? Whether it's in the morning or in the evening or both. If you're like me, I'm sitting there hoping the coffee kicks in soon and hoping the light brightens up and my glasses finally kick in so I can you know, get the Bible back closer to me and I just start reading. But what I should do is pray that God, what John does, what John Piper calls the IOUs. Number one, incline my heart to you, O God. Number two, open my heart to you, O God. Unite my heart to you, O God, and satisfy my heart to you, O God. That's incline, that's open, that's unite, and that's satisfy. 
We should pray for God to focus us on the word. Number two, we do our normal Bible reading, however much that is, whether it's one verse or several chapters. And then we pick one or two verses that the Holy Spirit said, hey, you need to focus on this today. And then number three, so we've prayed for power to focus. We've read and selected. And then we're going to repeat the verse to ourselves in order to memorize them. Now, this repetition can be done simply by rereading them can be done by writing them out. I would encourage you to write them out. Just write it out one time. Pick up, maybe pick a verse a week and every day you write it out. And that will do is that will ingrain it within your mind. The more senses you can engage in study and in learning, the the better you grab on to things. There's an artist on Spotify called Sing Scripture. And this artist has 10 or 12 passages of Scripture set to song to help with memorization and meditation. So we're praying for focus. We're reading and selecting. We're repeating the verses to ourselves. Then we're thinking about what these verses mean. Number one, by asking, what do similar Scriptures say? You know, you've got those cross references in the margin or in the center of your Bible. Use them to see what other similar verses say. We also also can ask, how do these verses provide doctrine? Maybe they teach us something about God. Maybe they reprove us or convict us of sin. Maybe they correct a bad habit in our life. Or maybe they train us in righteousness. And then how does this truth appear in your experience and in the world? How has that truth worked itself out? Go to the ant, thou slugger, to consider how he works and stores up food. Maybe you've seen people who who have worked diligently and have provided for themselves a comfortable retirement or comfortable ability to take extended vacations, things like that. You can see how the truths appear. So we're praying, we're reading We're repeating, we're thinking, and finally, we're preaching to ourselves. Think about a verse that you pick out and replace as appropriate. The 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 nouns and the pronouns with your own name. Now, when I say as appropriate, you're not going to read Genesis one one and say in the beginning, Ike created the heavens and the earth. That's totally not appropriate. But there are places in the scriptures Ike should not lie. Ike should not commit murder. Ike should not commit adultery. Think about those things. Begin to stir up your own affections. See, the purpose of this is to fill our heads with knowledge of God and of his scripture so that our hearts can begin to hear the commands that he's given to us, the truth that he is revealing to us so that we can then respond To the king as he calls. Apply. Number six. Apply the truths that have been revealed to you. Don't be like James Mann who looks in the mirror and then just goes out and doesn't do anything about his appearance. That'd be kind of scary if I did that this morning. Actually take the mirror of the word. Take what God is revealing to you and speaking to you and apply it to your life. And then finally, number seven, conclude with prayer and worship through singing of psalms, hymns and spiritual songs. Pray to God, thanking him for what he has revealed to you. Praise God through the singing. 
You all have those psalms. You all have those hymns that you love. Don't just sing them today. Sing them all the time. Sing them in response to what God has revealed of himself in his word. Now, I will give you one word of warning in this. If this is a new habit for you and and for me, the enemy is going to do everything he can to stop you from meditating on the Word of God. Beakey quoted a a Puritan author, author, I believe it was Joseph Hall, saying that beginning this habit anew will feel, feel like trying to light a wet piece of wood. It will be difficult for a time, but maintain the habit and soon the words of God will blaze within you and cause your affections to burn to hear God speaking. The process of meditation will make the words that God has spoken to you part of your life so that you can know the reality of having a conversation with the king. Brothers and sisters, don't take prayer too lightly. It is a privilege that we have been given. Oftentimes we take it for granted in not engaging in it enough. But oftentimes we take it for granted in forgetting to whom we're praying. We're not praying to our buddy, our grandfather, the the rich old man down the street who just wants to give us whatever we want or desire. We pray to the king, the creator of the universe. And we are his subjects who are commanded to respond to his words. Let us pray. Our God and Father above, once again, I confess that we enter your presence way too flippantly. Taking for granted who it is that we pray to. Leaving our laundry list at your feet, expecting you to answer our beck and call. Forgive us for that. Help us to realize that we should be filled with the words that you have revealed so that we can respond to your commands and to your calls. Help us to go about the process of doing better at hearing you. Help us to go about the process of doing better at responding to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.